I have to say, I think that that may be one of my favorite series openers that we've done. I feel like it should be like some dramatic movie that's about to come out afterwards. Sorry, you're blessed with me instead. Um, hey, this is the final week of our series called Anti-Heroes. And I don't know about you, but for me, this series has been really, really great. In fact, um, it's encouraged me and challenged me and blessed me as I've gone through and seen these guys, we've called them anti-heroes because we know what a hero is. A hero is somebody who is good and true and noble and they do the right things and they do it the right way. And these guys in the book of Judges that we've been looking at have been anything but that. At best, they're flawed. But God has still used them in an amazing way. And that has been encouraging to me. Well, today we're going to look at the final judge the final anti-hero and this guy as i said earlier he had all the makings to be an actual hero in fact if uh if he was marvel he would be like captain america the guy who was designed and created to be a hero and i know disney just bought out marvel right but if he was a Disney character, he would be like the movie Hercules, right? Because Hercules was like created perfectly to be a hero. He just wasn't quite there yet. And that's this guy as we jump into our story. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up. We're going to see the end of this guy's story. It happens in Judges chapter 16. So if you've got your Bibles, open them up there. If you don't have a Bible, maybe you've got it on your phone. You can scroll there. And while you're scrolling there or flipping there, I just want to catch you up a little bit on his story. The guy's name is Samson. Now, Samson is one of the most famous guys in all of the Bible. He's one of those that people know. They know his story. They know David and they know Jesus. Maybe a couple others sprinkled around the edge. They know bits and pieces about what happened, but they know Samson was this guy with incredible strength. And here it starts just a few chapters earlier, back in chapter 13, and we see the scripture open up, and it says that there was this certain man named Manoah. Now, Manoah is really not much of anybody. We don't know much about him other than the fact that he and his wife had no kids, and one day, the angel of the Lord shows up to Manoah's wife and says, you're going to have a baby boy, and he's going to save your people. Hmm. By the way, I find that kind of interesting. I wonder if God ever uses this same announcement any other place in the Bible about a baby boy that's about to be born that was designed for the purpose of saving God's people. Just wondering right? But here it was, this boy was going to have a mission, and his mission was to save the Israelites from the captivity to the Philistines. In fact, they have been in captivity. They've been enslaved by the Philistines for almost 40 years, an entire generation of people who knew nothing but being enslaved by the Philistines. And so here it was, this guy, Samson, that was given so much by God. From birth, Samson was actually called by God. He was set apart by God. And then he was empowered with supernatural strength from God 
to fulfill God's calling on his life. Like that's a sermon all in itself right there. We could like go back and unpack all of that. But Samson is probably one of the most frustrating of all biblical narratives because here is this guy who had everything and yet, like so many of us, he continued to fail over and over and over again. Just a minute when we pick up the story, what we're going to see is we're going to see Samson at his absolute lowest point. He didn't just get there all of a sudden, though. It wasn't like one day he woke up and he was like, oh, I've hit rock bottom now. No, he got there because of a series of choices that he began to make. You know, that's really true in all of our lives, right? We don't find ourselves in the lowest moments just all of a sudden out of the blue. Our lowest moments happen because of a series of decisions that we make in our lives. In fact, if we're not careful, we can ruin our lives by taking one small step at a time in the wrong direction, just like Samson did. You see, he didn't just look up one day and say, here's what I want to do. I want to ruin my life, and so I'm going to go do this. Instead, Samson began to pursue the wrong places, and he began to pursue the wrong things, and his heart began to desire things that were not of God until he found himself far from God and in his lowest point. As we pick up the story in just a second, you're going to see a she. And the she in this text is a woman named Delilah. Now, I asked the band jokingly a couple weeks ago if they could sing the song, Hey there, Delilah, right? They told me they would pray about it. We'll see how it goes, guys. I appreciate you very, very much. Now, Delilah, Delilah is not somebody that we really understand who she was. She might have been a Philistine, but the Bible doesn't really tell us that. She might have been a prostitute, but again, the Bible doesn't really tell us that. It just tells us that those are the type of women that Samson had been pursuing. So we make this educated guess that she was probably both of those things. But regardless of who she is, she still shows up in the text. And she shows up after we learn that Samson has judged the Israelites. In other words, he's been leader of the Israelites for 20 years. And we see her begin to beg, beg to know the secret of Samson's strength. And once he tells her, and the next morning he wakes up to find himself tied up with fresh bows, and he breaks them. And she comes back to him and says, no, you didn't really tell me what was going on. And so he says, all right, listen, if you take some fresh ropes and tie me up. And so she does that. And the next morning he wakes up and he breaks those. And a third time she comes to him and says, hey, tell me again. And he says, listen, if you'll braid my hair and put a pin in it, all of my strength will be gone. And she does it a third time. And his strength is still there. And that's where we pick up this story. 
chapter 16, verse 15. It says this, and she, that's Delilah, said to him, how can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? She says, you've mocked me these three times and you've not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words day after day and she urged him, finally his soul was vexed to death. And he told her all of his heart. And he finally said to her, listen, a razor has never come upon my head. For I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. And if my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak. And I'll be like any other man. And when Delilah saw that he had told her all of his heart, she sent and called to the lords of the Philistines and said, Come up again, for he has told me his heart. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her, and they brought the money in their hands. And she made him to sleep on her knees. And she called a man in and shaved off the seven locks of his head. And then she began to torment him, and his strength left him. And she said, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep, and he said, I'll go out just as all the other times, and I'll shake myself free. But what he did not know is that the Lord had already left him. Now, by the way, some of you were here last week when we talked about this guy named Jephthah. And we said, when we looked at Jephthah, that God does not break the power of sin in our lives because of our promises. He doesn't break the power of sin in our lives because of our promises. Now, here's what I want you to see real quickly in contrast to that is, is that what happens is when God responds based on our promises if that was how this worked out samson and god it was based on samson's promise to god and when that promise was shattered and broken there was no thing left and god left him but you know what's amazing and beautiful for you and for me is that God doesn't respond to us based on our promises. It's based on the promise and the beauty and the privilege of what Jesus did for us. And those are the promises. In fact, I love this because Jesus, as he was headed back to be with the Father, he said, listen, I will never leave you or forsake you. And that's my promise to you. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. But in this moment, the Lord left Samson because he was standing on his own promises and not the promises of Jesus. Hey, one more thing before we jump back into our text and finish out the story. Samson didn't lose his strength because of a haircut. That's not why Samson lost his strength. His strength did not come in his hair. You see, his strength came from the Lord. Now, there are two different ways to look at this moment, right? The first is that up to this point, Samson had never broken any of his Nazarite vows. And you say, well, what's a Nazarite vow, right? That's what I always ask. I'm like, what in the world does that mean? Well, it means three things, all right? 
First of all, it means that there was no wine. He couldn't drink any sort of grape juice or any fermented grape juice, none of that. In fact, from the time that the angel of the Lord spoke to his mom in his mother's womb, there was supposed to be no wine. He couldn't touch a dead corpse. So if he's walked up on or sees somebody that is dead, he's not supposed to touch them or it would defile him. And finally, finally, it was the third thing of no cutting your hair. Now, there's two different possibilities about what happened in this moment when God left him. The first one is, is that Samson had finally broken all three of these pieces of the promise. Those who believe that point back to chapter 14 where Samson encounters a lion. And with his bare hands, he slays a lion. Now, I used to think that was a pretty incredible feat until I heard about a guy in Colorado who took out a mountain lion with his bare hands. Did you guys hear about that just recently? Although I heard that it was not a full-grown lion. That was just a baby. Um, so, still, he took out a lion. And three days later, as he walked by again, inside of the carcass of the lion that he had killed were honeybees. And he scooped out some honey from inside of the carcass, and he ate it. Now, first of all, gross, right? And second of all, really gross. I, I don't know. I don't know what possessed him to think that that was going to be a good thing at that moment, right? So it's possible that at this moment, if, if all of that comes together and that's right, that it, when he got his head shaved, he had broken all of the promise. But there's another thing that says, well, maybe because it was only touching a human body that mattered, a dead human body, and so there's no strong evidence about him ever having drank wine. Although, listen, if you're partying in the scenes that he was partying in, there's probably a pretty good chance that he was. But the Bible doesn't tell us that he drank wine. So maybe this is the first time that he's broken any of the Nazarite vow. But irrespective of whether or not you think that he broke all three or just one, it broke, and he was broke at this moment, and God left him. Let's continue on with the story. The Philistines seized upon him, and they gouged out his eyes. Scholars tell me that they, what they did is they took and they poked them, they moved it around, and then they took and burned out whatever was remaining inside of the eye socket. It does not sound very pleasant. It brought him down to Gaza, Gaza, excuse me, and they bound him with bronze shackles, and he began to ground at the mill in the prison. But check this out. The hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. And now the lords of the Philistines gathered together to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and rejoiced. And they said, our God has given Samson, our enemy, into our hands. And when the people saw him, they began to praise their God. And they said, our God has given our enemy into our hand. The ravager of our country, the one who has killed so many of us, and their hearts were merry. And because of that, they said, call on Samson that he may come and entertain us. 
And so they called Samson out of the prison, and he began to entertain them. Let's pray. God, you uniquely designed Samson for a unique mission. And God, he utterly failed. And God, it would be small thinking on my part to think that me, a a person who you still created and you still have called for a purpose and a mission, God, that when I fail, that you still don't have purpose for me. God, help us to see the purposes that you had in Samson's life and help us to internalize the truth about what that means in our own lives. We just give you glory and honor for who you are in your name. Amen. All right, no show of hands, but how many in here have ever really blown it? I mean, super messed up. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I am with you on that. I have been there. Maybe maybe it was with your kids. Yeah? Ever done, it with, done that with your kids? Or maybe it's with your spouse. Oh, yeah. I've done that, too. Listen, in this moment, there was a royal mess up. Samson had messed up, but so had Delilah. Samson had broken his promise with God, but Delilah had sold him out, literally, for silver, 1,100 pieces of silver. And when you look at Samson's condition in this story right here, at his lowest of lows, I think it raises this question about what do you do when you've blown it? What do you do when you realize that you've wasted the years that God has given you? What do you do when you realize that you've wasted the gifts that God has given you? What do you do when you've done something that you just can't undo? You failed. You know, failure is an ugly, ugly word. Nobody likes to fail. I haven't met anybody yet who would say, I enjoy failure. And have you ever noticed that failure, failure rarely seems to ever be a private thing? You ever notice that? It always seems that failure comes with like this public moment that accompanies it. Here was Samson in the moment that he's at his lowest, right? It gets drug out in front of everybody what his failure was. You know what's interesting though is is that men and women, we view failure very differently, right? And, and it's because men and women, we find value in different things. Let's look at this for just a second. Okay, ladies, you typically find value in relationships, right? That's where you find value. In fact, recently I read an article um, by a, a lady 
that said, here's the number one fear for women, the fear of not being liked. The fear of not being liked. She listened to the second one, and then she gave the third one. The third one was the fear of a relationship ending. I was like, wow, ladies, you and relationship, they seem to go together. That's where you get your value from, your worth from. Everything in your world is about relationships. Ladies, how many of you go to the bathroom by yourself? Right? Everything in your world is about relationships. Now it's spring right now, which is prom season. I saw some great prom pictures and seen kids taking prom pictures. And I remember when I went to prom and we went as a group, right? Not because the guys cared about anything about the group, but we had the girls were all a group that ran around together. And so the guys got drug into this group thing. And I remember we went to dinner. And we're sitting there, and as you can imagine, at some point during the dinner, one of the girls needed to go to the bathroom. And the conversation ensued. Hey, would you like to? And before we knew it, the entire table of girls got up and left and went to the bathroom. And all of us guys were just sitting there, looking at each other, dumbfounded about what had just taken place. They all left, all at the same time. And some genius in the group, I won't mention his name, I mean, he might be standing on the stage, but some genius in the group said, you know what we should do? When the ladies get back, we should all get up and go to the bathroom. So the moment that they all got back to the table, we all looked at each other, nodded, got up and walked to the bathroom. Now listen, this is where the end of our brilliant idea happens, all right? Because I don't really know what takes place when all the ladies go to the bathroom together, but when four guys walk in the bathroom together, where there's only one stall, you kind of look at each other really weirdly. There are some unwritten man code rules that exist in play. Like, for example, when you walk in, if there are multiple stalls, it's every other. All right? You don't go stand right next to the guy when there's an opening on the other end. Just don't do it. Secondly, it's eyes straight ahead. It's okay to talk, like about sports, all right? I mean, you got to know what it is it's okay to talk about, but it's eyes straight ahead. None of this, none of that, no looking down, all right? Straight ahead. And if you break any of these rules, we might take away your man card. And you certainly will never be invited to go to the bathroom with us again. Listen, there is a difference between guys and girls because girls are relationship driven but guys guys we are not relationship driven that is not where we get our value from men get their value from accomplishments we get our value from accomplishments yes it's true we like to be liked but that's not what drives us we want to know can we win right? Is this a competition that's going on here? And if it's not, we're going to turn it into one because that's how we get our fulfillment on something. Can we finish this? Can we, can we measure up on what this is? Did we do good? Can we conquer this thing? Those are all measures for a guy about where our value and our worth comes from. It's about accomplishments. You know, in my life, there, 
I never felt more like a failure than the moment when I lost my job. Because the second church that I was working at had been putting in 90 plus hours a week trying to keep up with the pace of things and it just wasn't working. And I walked in one day and my boss took me and we sat down and he said, here are your papers. Here's our package that we're offering to you. Go clean out your desk. Goodbye. And at that moment, I felt like I lost everything. I no longer measured up. All of my worth and my value had been tied up in that job. I struggled with feeling unworthy. I was like, who's going to call some pastor that's been fired? Who wants to listen to him talk about anything? I'm glad you guys are coming back next week for Easter, by the way. But it was a moment where I was a failure. But I think Samson's story, I think it teaches us something that especially us guys in this room. We need to embrace this. We need to internalize this. We need to live with this. And it's the principle that just because you fail at something does not mean you are a failure. Guys, write this down. Ladies, you can write it down too, but really men, write this down. A failure is an event, never a person. A failure is an event, never a person. Samson's story is about a guy who failed over and over and over again. He walked in the completely wrong direction, right? He didn't find himself at this moment, at the lowest of lows, all at one time. It was lots of small steps that had taken him there and gotten him to where he was. It was lots of failures. It was a lot of not measuring up. Here it was, Samson's life, a guy that failed over and over and over again. And when it looks like he may have failed one too many times or one too much for God to do anything with his life, we see a God who still accomplishes his purposes and his mission in spite of the failures. God never labeled Samson as a failure. In fact, Samson's name, when you go to Hebrews chapter 11, which is the hall of fame of faith heroes, is listed. And it's there next to Moses' name, next to Abraham's name, next to David's name. All of these great men of faith that are in the Bible. And there is Samson's name right beside it. God didn't label him as a failure at all. And really, I think that's some incredible news. It's incredible news because when you're down, you're not out. Samson was down. 
But God didn't count him out, and he didn't throw him out of the game. Now, let's be honest. When we fail, there are two different responses, right? The first response is the natural response. And the natural response is remorse. The natural response is remorse. And this, unfortunately, is where a lot of us stop when we fail something, when we fail at something, and we think that we are a failure. Remorse is, I feel bad about that thing that I did. I shouldn't have done it. It was a bad thing. And because of that, I'm a bad person. You know, sometimes remorse moves from that and begins to turn inward on us. And we say, you know, I'm horrible. I'm no good. I'm the worst person who ever lived because of my failures. And we begin to say, I, I hate myself. I have no future. I hate my life. And it, it just turns inward. Other times, though, other times our remorse goes from instead of being inward, it becomes outward. And we begin to blame other people. You know what? It's not my fault that I failed. I'm the victim in this situation. It's their fault that I failed. You know what? This never would have happened had Eve not eaten that, that fruit off the tree. This never would have happened had Delilah not said, sing me some wonderful song. I could have had it all, but instead I failed, and it was because of somebody else. Remorse is a natural response. failure but there's a better response there's a better response and that is repentance repentance is i own it i i it's my fault i'm the one who blew this but it's not just hey i didn't do what god entrusted me to do it's recognizing i took the steps that moved me away from God. And if I continue in this direction, it's just my own fault. And repentance says, I'm going to turn from going the direction that I was going that found me where I'm at, and I'm going to turn and go in the opposite direction back towards where God wants me to be at. Repentance means literally this, right? Re means to turn or again. And pent means higher. Like the pent house, it means it's the house that's up at the highest level. And so quite literally the word repentance means to turn from that which is lower sin and a life filled with sin to something that is higher, which is God's way, the way that he's called us, the promises that he has for us. So we can either be down here in the muck and the mire or we can be up here safe and secure. And repentance means that we choose to move from here to here with God's help. But remorse, remorse means focusing on the bad. In fact, remorse actually means to lash out at and to bite at somebody else. To turn at and bite at them. Does that sound like what happens when we're in outward remorse? Absolutely it does. So here is Samson. He's at his lowest 
point. He's being paraded in front of all of his enemies. They're surrounded him. Let's read what happens. Verse 25. It says, They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who held him by the hand, because remember, he's been led in there because he can't see anything. He said, Let me fill the pillars on which this house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women, and the lords of the Philistines were all there, and on the, on the roof even, there were about <coughs> 3,000 men and women. So check this out. Sometimes we think there's just 3,000 that are here. No, this is a giant coliseum. Think like Roman games sort of a thing, like big arena that has thousands of people inside of it. In fact, it's so packed on the inside, there are 3,000 people on the rooftop to see this humiliation of Samson. And Samson called out. He called to the Lord and he said, Oh Lord God, please remember me. Strengthen me just this one time so that I can avenge the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson reached out and he grasped the two middle pillars on which the entire house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson cried out, let me die with the Philistines and he bowed with all of his strength and the house came tumbling The Bible says that the dead whom he killed with his death were more than those whom he had taken out with the entirety of his life. You know, throughout the book of Judges, we've talked about this cycle, right? That the people abandoned God. And then when they abandoned God, God sent his people into bondage. And then after some time of realizing what it is that they've done, they would cry out to God. And God would raise up and send a deliverer. But that cycle, we've seen it just continue over and over and over again. But this time, this time it was personal no longer was it about a corporate whole but instead samson says i abandon you god i don't need you i forsake the promises that i had with you and god says fine if you don't need me let me show you what life without me is like and the consequences of that puts samson into bondage and as he's there and he's remorseful about everything that's happened samson moves into repentance and he cries out to God and says God I know that I had strength to do hundreds and thousands of things and that's all gone but at this moment God just once God help me to step across the threshold into something very personal with you something that is my decision not something that is somebody else's decision for my life but something that is mine it's personal 
and let me take them out for your glory. And God delivers him. Listen. God calls out to us personally. God is waiting for us to realize that we personally need him. It's not on the faith of my mom and my dad. It's not on the faith of the church that I go to. It's not on any of these other structures that we might think it should be built on. It is a personal relationship. And if you're personally thumbing your nose at God, that's just fine. I'm going to let you live life your own way. And we find ourselves taking one small step further and further and further away. Until one day we realize I'm at my lowest. God says, you're going to either do the natural thing and just wallow in self-pity. Or you can turn and come back to me. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm still here. I still desire you personally. Samson, who failed over and over again, God said, he's not a failure. I'm just waiting for him to have a personal relationship with me so I can do something huge. Listen, here's my favorite thing in this whole passage. God flipped a fail into a moment of faith and fulfillment. God flipped a fail into a moment of faith and fulfillment. Maybe you're just like Samson and you're like, I'm in this cycle. I just feel like I keep failing over and over and over again. God's just waiting. And when we personally give it all to him, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to flip this fail because of your faith and I'm going to bring some incredible fulfillment out of it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for the story of Samson. The guy who, God, you called and set apart, and he had it all. God, he lost it all. But you didn't quit loving him. You didn't forget him. cried out to you, God, you personally answered him. God, thank you for being a personal God. A God that desires to flip our failures into something that displays faith and fulfillment. In your precious and holy name we pray.